This is a Ward Scott Files advisory. The Ward Scott Files podcast may contain material not suited for people who are easily offended. Trust us on this. This show contains adult information and opinions. Please protect small children, sensitive pets, fragile houseplants, and liberal relatives. Thank you. Warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me! Help! Help! Good morning, good morning. Coach Hogg here in the uh, Ward Scott Manly Man Cave here in the Piney Woods of North Central Florida in the Melvin Law Studio in a place protected by crime prevention 24-7-365. And uh, we just uh, welcome you back for this new second week, I guess, that we have now in January of 2023. Well, Coach Hogg and everybody around in the state of Florida is excited because Let's start out with the good news. The NFL teams, all of them in the state of Florida, are going to go into the next round of contested manhood, known as football, and uh, see who prevails and gets to the uh, golden ring or whatever you want to call it at the end of the pursuit. But I got to tell you, I really am pleasantly surprised and pleased by my favorite, which forever has been the Jaguars. I just... You know, I don't know what it is about that team that I reach out to. Perhaps it's because they were the underdog and the city's not quite the city the other cities are. and They don't have the facilities that the other cities have, like Las Vegas and uh, Dallas and all that. And um, But the uh, proprietor, the owner, is quite an interesting character in himself and how he got to be so wealthy. He's selling car bumpers, essentially, from what I can tell. Um um, really opened up the pocketbook and went after some players that would give him uh, a great deal of opportunity if they could find the right coach to put them together. And they've found the right coach to put them together, obviously, with uh, this coach Peterson. So it's an exciting team to watch. Um, I'm not sure how far they're going to go because I, I, I can tell you they've got a great defense. Uh, that defense really, really flies around out there. And as we say, puts a hat on somebody and operates and functions as a team. Um, the offense should. He got a great quarterback. But for some strange reason, he goes on a holiday now and then, missing a guy in the end zone wide open in the game Saturday um, by miles, really, and inexplicably, and unable to move that offense. They don't have the real big, powerful, crashing Derrick Henry-type back. Uh, ETN is okay. He's quick and all that, but you know, and he's he'll probably be okay as far as they need him in com- combination with Lawrence. But um, it's it's a it's a different ball game when you got a, a Jim Brown type in the backfield like Tennessee did. And Tennessee was able to keep Lawrence off the field, 
And that was successful strategy until that defense saved the day and they recovered the fumble and won. So that was an exciting game. Uh, the Bucks are sort of ho-hum. Um, we'll see. You know, they've been there, done that before. Uh, they've got the same old quarterback who's really um, an interesting study in himself as to how far along the road he can go. Uh, but he's doing okay, and they'll be ho-hum getting in, and then we'll see when the pressure's down what they can do. And, of course, the Dolphins have always been a crowd favorite in Florida, hearkening back to the days of, of Kick and Zonka and Mercury Morris and Larry Little and all those guys who went 17-0. They've always been a crowd favorite, and fortunately they're back in the mix here, and uh, we'll have some more entertainment on Florida field. As far as uh, uh, Florida, uh, Florida games, and of course as far as your uh, game goes between Georgia and TCU, the interesting thing about those two schools is the, the coaching approaches that the two colleges took, uh, TCU is kind of a coach and player friendly type world of overachievers. Um, the coaches and the players cook out together and they um, really are operating on a shoestring budget compared to that of Georgia. And Georgia opened up their pocketbooks for uh, this coach smart and it, it uh, really went after what have they needed to, to, to get to the top up near um, Alabama. So if TCU should beat uh, Georgia, it, and it could, it's, it's going to be quite an interesting uh, study in contradictions of how those two schools approached uh, their uh, building their teams. I would have to say that Florida fits in right there, somewhere in that mix. The jury is out, of course, on Nipier. Um, we don't know. We'll see what he comes up with. We, you know, we had a lot of guys leave. What's that all about? And we know that uh, um, the issue of buying the players, if you will, which is kind of a crude way of saying there's a, a name, image, and likeness and all that is um, um, interesting. Um, we'll see what pocketbook, so to speak, world can can uh, produce for the Florida fans. And uh, we'll see if there's a, an opportunity to reclaim the uh, ring, you know, at the end of the, t the pursuit. Uh, as far as the basketball team goes, a magnificent, really, turn of events on Mike White, who left this area, not unlike why McElwain left. McElwain, you know, put his foot in his mouth when he said, he had death threats for not losing at Florida. Oh, boy, and everybody, you know, jumped off the bridge on that one. And Mike White left, he said publicly anyway, as I understand it, because it was just un too uncomfortable here for him and his family to bear up under all the ins insults that the fan base for the basketball team hurled at him. So he goes to Georgia, and we have this, uh, you know, old home week when White comes back with his Georgia team. And in the beginning, it appears as if uh, White's going to have his way. And that's going to be a nasty statement. But incredibly, the boys from Florida, uh, we are the boys from old Florida, it used to be boys, because um, it was a boys' school, um, rose to the challenge and performed as they've never performed before as a team. And everybody's hoping that that is where we are now, that the team has been sort of put together the right chemistry, the right 
players, uh, shooters, uh, and we'll see how that turns out. So the disappointing report is on the ladies basketball team uh, coached by uh, Finley. The team had a lead, big lead. But the problem is to get that lead, they had to play rough and tumble under the basket. And to play rough and tumble, our girls fouled and fouled and fouled. And we fouled out these ladies who were needed. And they took the bench and that gave the strength back to the Georgia team. And even so, Florida almost came back. Uh, but they lost. But, you know, I'm a big fan of the Lady Gator basketball team. I think the coach is special. I think in a year or two, this is really saying a lot, but in a year or two, I hope she can build a really team that she, she deserves. She deserves to have really great players here. And by that, I mean at least one more shooter and then a couple of big ladies under the basket who can really dominate the boards, which is not easy to find. Uh, that's kind of uh, where it is. And I encourage you to watch this team, to support it. Uh, it's the best price ticket in town. It's uh, exciting. She's going to have them in the mix most of the time. She's going to do the best she can to keep them competitive. And she's a good lady. I think she needs the support of the community. The Jimmy Carnes track. Let me talk a moment about the Jimmy Carnes track. And I'll go out on a limb here and say I'm not a fan of the exact tenor, uh, center basketball arena as it's now configured. I'm one of these guys who like the old way it was laid out. I mean, I thought it was intimate. I thought it was intimidating, loud, everything you want. But more importantly, perhaps, is push those seats back and you've got what? A track. And I've been to a lot of track meets, indoor track meets there. And it was a great place for indoor track. And you would think that a school like the University of Florida, that is the SEC champion year in, year out, national champion year in, year out under Coach Holloway. What have an indoor track on its campus? But there's no indoor track on this campus because they had to build a booster appeaser into the new exact tech center and the booster appeaser is where people who don't need yet one more meal go get one more meal and eat there in the exact tech center before and even during the game if they want to. Okay, I don't have any problems with that per se, but I have a problems with what the trade-off was what it cost us in fan excitement, tradition, intimacy, all those things I cited. I think that's unfortunate. I don't think it can ever quite be the same. But basketball aside, we lost the track. 
I have a history with Jimmy Carnes. I ran in Florida Relays in the 1972 and won the quarter mile in the Masters Division. And Jimmy Carnes let me come out to that track, outdoor track, and train with the world's greats. Of course, distance-wise, Frank Shorter, Jack Batchelor, John Parker, that whole, that whole, that whole, but Dick Burkle. Sprint-wise, we had Vaughn here from Georgia Tech. We'd come down to train. We had Hauser on the high hurdles. We had competitive people at every event, tremendous excitement. But more importantly, not only did Jimmy Carnes allow people like me, there were a lot of people like me, to go out there and train with those guys, to run the intervals, to run the cross-country two-mile warm-ups. I mean, it was just an exciting time to be here for track. He attracted the world's best to come here and train. Marty Corey, people like this. And that also was coming by. The community could use that track after the track team quit training. That community would come out there to that track and people would jog and walk and stay in shape. Not unlike what we've done to the exact tech center, we've now banned the community from working out on that track. As far as I know, the gates are locked to the community. There is really no track any longer for the community to go exercise that I'm aware of. Now you can go out to Santa Fe High School track. I'm talking about inside the city of Janesville. You can go way over across town to the east side of town, which most people are not going to do. And there's a nice track there, I'm told. Never been to it. So there's no indoor track for the Florida National Championship track team. And there's no community track for the people who would support this track team simply by being on the same track as the greats are on. So now cometh before us is the Jimmy Carnes track at Celebration Point, which I've not been to in a recreation center, which I'm all for. And hopefully we will have some resurrection, but I'm not too sure the community can get on that track. I don't believe. So yesterday, for example, for the track, I went to Santa Fe College. Santa Fe College has a track. Also has a soccer field right there in the middle. When I was there, there were soccer guys 
having a match. As I did a mile out there at the track. But it's not a rubberized track as the community track was, but thank goodness it's a track. And at one time when I was there, we had really great, great coach there, Brooks Henderson. And we had a track team. And thank goodness that track team created the need for a track. Santa Fe track is a wonderful, Santa Fe College track is a wonderful place for the community now use. But we don't have a track team at Santa Fe College. So the Jimmy Carnes track hopefully will be used again to produce some of the great indoor track meets that we once had at the University of Florida, O'Connell Center. I saw Harvey Lance win the 60-yard dash, and Harvey Lance was in his 30s at the O'Connell Center. One of the great sprinters out of Auburn. So that's kind of my local roundup on what's going on in the community sport-wise. I intend to go out and take a look at the track at Celebration Point. Sam Durker Bolton, I applaud him. Sam Durker Bolton was a basketball player here uh, at the University of Florida. He's done a, a tremendous uh, uh, job um, um, creating a place for uh, the uh, track to be held, to be located. So take a look at it. Get a chance to take a look at it. Support Lady Gators basketball. I highly recommend that. They're very entertaining. Great coach. Check out, as I say, the Jimmy Carnes track. Jimmy Carnes, you know, started Athletic Attic. He and Marley Corey and a couple other people here in town. And the way that started, when we when I started working out with the track team in 1970-71, we had to get our track shoes out of a track and field magazine. And the only place we could get them was either Germany or Japan. In Japan, we could mail order the Onitsuka Tiger. And in uh, Germany, we could get the Adidas. The United States was known for basketball shoes, Converse basketball shoes. We didn't have an American manufacturer of track shoes. And so we went to Jimmy Carnes and we said, Jimmy, we're having a mail order. These shoes, get these shoes, the Onitsuka Tigers. The Nike had started, had just begun on the West Coast with a waffle bottom. So we had to mail order for that also. And out of that came the shoe business, which started over in the attic of Bill Pinner Shoes. Great place. And that became known as Athletic Attic, and that started the shoe business. And I remember buying a, a great pair of Adidas shoes there called the SL72s, which were created for the 72 Olympics. And I must have put, let me see, 500 miles a month on those, probably. The Adidas SL72s. Well, I love those shoes. Fantastic pair of shoes. 
So that's also part of the legacy of Jimmy Carnes. And that became a fulfillment of a concern we had out there that we couldn't get shoes from America. We could only get them from Germany and Japan. And of course, out on the West Coast, um, Steve Prefontaine had picked up on this and they made the waffle iron Nike shoe. And you see what Nike has become. All this really came from the track world, is my point. From the track and field world. Created this whole product line of apparel. I remember we, we, we ran in shorts that were as light as we could get. Nylon. Uh, we, we would run in those. And, and no shirts. Um, we wanted as little cloth against us as possible. And... Um, that was another apparel feature that grew out of the track and field world. I got to say that uh, one of the things I used to love to do was run intervals with Dick Burkle, who was the mild indoor champion, who was also one of my students at Santa Fe. And of course, Dick would run 20 quarters uh, in 60 seconds with a 220 draw interval. And I'd run maybe five or six. But I just remember being out there in the late afternoon running intervals with Dick Burkle, who tied jingle bells to his shoelaces so he could hear the metronome effect of his pace. And he knew when he was on pace. And so whenever I would tag along with Dick, and he was on the cover of Sports Illustrated, by the way, uh, whenever I tag along with Dick, I still hear right now, Ting, 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 as we were pounding around that oval form known as a track. Unfortunately, end of the story on Dick, I remember one night we had trained pretty heavily. He much, much more than I. And he said, well, I guess that's enough. This is one of the real dilemmas for athletes. What have you overtrained? I don't ever hear this about baseball players. I don't know that baseball players... You know, I look at those guys, you know, uh, I mean, I know they're great, good athletes, but I don't think they can go out and, and, and pit their body against the oval form the way we did and, and hurl ourselves against that clock time and time again. But uh, and in training for track, the, the difficulty really is knowing when you've overtrained and how much to rest. I remember training with Dick one evening and he said, well, I guess that's enough. And I said, well, Dick, I know it's enough for me. He said, well, I guess I'll go home, though, and run some more on the pavement while my wife cooks pizza. Dick Berkeley trained on carbohydrate overloading, so he ate a lot of pizza. And the sad end of the story is that he overtrained, did not make the Olympics, did not get out of our uh, American trials because of a stress fracture in his hip from overtraining and not knowing when to cut back and rest. That is a tremendous dilemma. When do you overtrain? When do you undertrain? When is enough enough? And probably in swimming, that gets after you right away. You kind of got to know how to do that. I know it doesn't track. Any place where you got to run, run, run constantly, run, 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 run constantly and be in shape, I'm sure it probably holds true for soccer. Um, you know, that really becomes an issue. So support the lady basketball team. Keep your fingers crossed on the men. Check out the Jimmy Carnes track. And what else have I got here? 
Um, get ready to watch some entertainment here. Uh, hopefully, uh, we'll have some success for our state teams. Primarily the one I'm pulling for, of course, as you know, is the Jaguars. Well, I got a local story I'm going to do here in a minute about uh, something that I've been thinking about that I think is probably slipping through the cracks um, in the rental world here in uh, our location and in other towns. I've heard a lot of talk. I'm sure you have about inclusion and exclusion in single mammal, single family resident neighborhoods. And you know that the city of Gainesville, governed by its ideologue bureaucrats, has really created a monster that they can't possibly enforce. They're going to go around and inspect every rental house. And the way they know there's a rental house is that you've got a rental permit. They're going to go around and inspect every rental house to make sure that you should be able to rent it. And by that means the toilet's flush. And they got a list of stuff. Same time out of the other side of the mouth, they want affordable housing. Well, the two don't meet. Affordable housing and slamming the residents uh, who turn their places into rentals and charging them for inspections and other bureaucratic permitting, which now is going to be even more onerous, just jacks up the rent they have to charge to the tenants. And it makes affordable housing less and less available. Now, I don't know if the bureaucratic mind can fathom this, but it's uh, easy to calculate it yourself. Just ponder it. And the question you're going to have to ask yourself is, can I, can I stay in the rental business? I mean, you know, three, no more than three unrelated. Uh, a permit, which allows the government to know where you are, to then come and get on you about cars on the yard and um, all the parties and, and shut you down. All that is piled on top of the rent, including the property taxes and insurance. And God forbid you try to get insurance for these places now because some of these places are, in the eyes of the insurance people, don't have pro proper electrical updates, air conditioning updates. My point is, this doesn't help the search for affordable housing. What brought my attention to this phenomenon is a few people who are turning their homes that they used to rent into Airbnbs. And a local, just a local 
rather superficial search in a random week in March in this area in Gainesville showed 650 Airbnbs available. Furthermore, government subsidized housing off of Tower Road, right there by Sparrow Condominiums, by 8th Avenue and 75th Street, Section 8, government subsidized housing, quote unquote, affordable housing, has been purchased to renovate for Airbnbs, sometimes known as a short-term rental market. And the focus on customers is going to be aimed at the medical professionals, and there are a lot of them, nurses, hospitalists, they're like the carnival. They come to town for several months. Some of them fewer than that. They don't want to own anything. They don't want to have a long-term lease agreement. And so they are the customers for this ever-increasing Airbnb rental market. Now, I'm not fully up on whether the codes and all that business that the city of Gainesville indulges in have been adjusted, have been adjusted for this phenomenon. But I think a little research should be done on that. We'll try to do that and follow up on the story. But clearly, this supplants, displaces the so-called renter subsidized by the government, your money, in these areas. And seems to be a way around some of the crazy exclusion, inclusion, Zoning that the city was indulging in under the past group of geniuses leading it. I did a little more research. I'm going to postpone the break for a second. Production. And talk a little bit about some of the other cities that have this dilemma. The Airbnb rental vacation places. Now, sometimes they're called vacation places. But they're not necessarily vacation places. They're places for people who like the nurses and the doctors and all travel about the state in monthly gulfs. They've been become an increasingly popular investment. In 2020, these purchases exceeded the growth of existing home sales by 44% from the year prior. Now, this is a national, national study. They have a high yield on the use of the property. 
They are a short-term rental industry. And they are causing a housing shortage. And they are particularly causing an affordable housing shortage. And there have been case studies done all over the place on this. But the bottom line is, uh, one of the quirks of this is that the majority of hosts of Airbnb properties have just one home that they use as an Airbnb. And they don't rent it out to students. They don't make it affordable. People pay quite a bit to have these Airbnbs. So there's starting to be rules enacted to regulate these short-term rentals. But it's causing a lot of affordability issues, as you might imagine. Boca Raton, for example, we've done a little research there from Boca First. The people who live next to an, an Airbnb, they're not all happy about that. The owners of these Airbnbs are called hosts. They take better care of the properties because they want these renters coming back, these short-term renters coming back. But the added income is also a good thing for those who own them. And a lot of the money does go back into fixing up the property. The problem is what goes on in these Airbnbs on a, occupants on a temporary basis is not all that well identified. If you have a long-term lease and you have people in there, you put a lot of things in the lease and anticipate what you want for behavior there, and you have those people in there for at least a year. But a lot of these Airbnbs, because they're temporary, are less well sort of scrutinized. And they go unnoticed against quote-unquote misbehavior unless a resident nearby uh, files a formal complaint. But the point is about this. The city right now is going to go around to rental income houses in Gainesville and burden them with still more cost, more permitting, which will make the housing less affordable and at the same time will drive people according to these studies, to turn their once upon a time single family residents from keep, keeping them from being yearly leases into short-term Airbnbs. And what this has basically done, it's a way to think about it before we take a break. These short-term rentals are in effect rental or are in effect motels. They are motels in single family zones. Now in watching out of the corner of my eye, the behavior of the Gainesville City Commission about the subject of inclusion with housing, I haven't heard any discussion about this. 
I rode by a property yesterday in a single family neighborhood and looked at a house that has always been a single family home. But the owner, owners died. The home was left as an inheritance to the children who don't live here. So the children tried renting it to students. And of course, the students tore it up. So now the children have decided they're not going to rent anymore. They have the choice of selling the home, of course. But a lot of people want that additional income on a regular basis if it's successful. And so rather than conduct it any longer or present it any longer as a single family residence at no more than three unrelated, and there's talk of making that four, Ryan Eastman has brought that up. We'll see if that succeeds. And obviously, when you have three, you also have boyfriends or you have girlfriends. You have six. And we know that. We really have six or potential for six. So rather than do the single family, and it's right smack dab on either side, single family residences. Turn it into an Airbnb, go for a market, being of those people who are in the medical profession, and in effect, what that will do in that neighborhood, will it not, according to the study of Boca Tom, is it will turn that neighborhood and will have right in the middle of it a motel. Now, banning these Airbnbs, Airbnbs in a city is becoming a controversial subject. And it is now the summation of what I presented to you is that this is no longer Residents trying to make a little extra money off of a single family residence they've turned into a rental. This is becoming a professional business model. Interesting. Keep your eye on that in the city of Gainesville. As the government tries to tell you what you can and cannot do with your private property. Be right back in the Ward Scott Files. Thanks for indulging me in that. Stay tuned. Although the owner of Lewis Oil Company maintains she is 29, Lewis Oil turns 60 years old in June. Chevron would like to recognize the North Florida second-generation family-owned business, celebrating its growth and staying power. Lewis Oil Company maintains significant on-hand supplies, strategically located fuel depots, a delivery fleet, on-site service, fuel card locks, and convenience stores. Lewis Oil Company understands its responsibility in the local economy by providing service and delivery on demand and in crisis. As a first responder for 18 Florida counties and the southeast from Texas to Virginia, we are proud of this rare accomplishment. Lewis Oil delivers. This is Ward Scott, and I want to thank all our sponsors who keep the show going and pay the bills. The Ward Scott Files premium sponsors are Crime Prevention Security Systems, large enough to serve you, small enough to care. Melvin Law, the only official injury partner of the Florida Gators. The Ward Scott Files Gold sponsors are Lewis Oil Company, Shoot GTR, On the Spot Dry Cleaners, RR Construction, and Style Cuts. 
If you are interested in promoting your business on the show, you can visit our website, www.wardscottfiles.com, and click on the Advertise Here banner on the right side of the page or call my friend Freddie at 352-284-3733. Again, thank you to all the great businesses that support the Ward Scott Files. And remember, if you like the show, thank our sponsors and support the businesses that support us. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. May God have mercy on your soul. Or that very much surprises me that you've never been tased. You can't handle the truth. All bees poop. Warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me! Help! Help! Now for the weather brought to you by Lewis Oil. Well, well, well. Welcome back to the Ward Scott Files. We're going to give you the weather thanks to Lewis Oil. And Wendell Lewis, great supporter of the show. You know, it's 53 degrees here outside the command center, and we got a pretty good day here. But let's all go back and take a look again at um, California. Uh, California is in the midst of what is now kind of a phenomenon of uh, a kind of a relentless parade of cyclones, uh, according to a guy named Fred Reeves who wrote about this in Sacramento, California. A relentless parade of cyclones. You know, I'm trying to relate to that. What if we had a relentless parade of hurricanes? But um, this is what's happening. There's an immense airborne stream of dense moisture from the ocean, creating an atmospheric river. And in a hurricane force, low pressure system, this is known as a bomb cyclone. And it's causing devastating flooding and record snowfall over the past week. Um, Now, of course, if you read through this, which is written in California, uh, what's this all caused by? Uh, Three guesses, and the first two don't count. Climate change, which results in extreme heat, drought, and floods. Whiplashed in a rainy events like this. Climate change. I don't know. You know, climate change used to, I've, I've talked about it before, has been known as several different things. I just think it's nature. It's just nature. Now, of course, this is wrecking havoc on California's homeless population. Uh, a lot of them camp out along the Sacramento River. Um, they're going to be washed away. Um 424,000 California homes and businesses were without power as late as Sunday afternoon. Well, that's quite a number, isn't it? And another severe storm supposed to hit today along this atmospheric river with this series of bomb cyclones. So this uh, heavy rain and snow, the snow is delightful, of course, in the mountains. 
but it's not very welcome uh, there in Sacramento area. Well, 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 um, that is the nature of the world and nature that we live in. Uh, may, I, may I talk about that with you? I don't know what else to say. Um, I want to I want to go over and just briefly touch on something that I meant to touch on a while back, and uh, that's Trump's tax returns. I, I I've had this story on the desk for a while. It's a ho hum story for me because I know it's just a, another relentless bomb cyclone, if you will, to borrow the term from the weather, um, being a uh, directed toward Trump. Um, But you know the story. The House Ways and Means Committee recently obtained and publicly released uh, Trump's tax returns from 2015 to 2020. And uh, they hoped they would be able to embarrass him. But there's nothing in it. It's like a wet firecracker. Here's what it showed. Trump and his wife declared negative income. Uh, now I don't go into the numbers, you know, um, and they used that as a as a way to uh, pay less in taxes. Um, they um, used all the basic real estate investment property uh, tax. They call them loopholes, but they're just um, ways of redistributing wealth, actually. They're perfectly legal deductions, and real estate developers use them to pump that money back into more development. I mean, that's basically what you do. Rather than give it to the government, that's going to go into the business of creating affordable housing. Don't give it to the government. Keep it yourself and create hotels and whatever that is that the market will bear. Now, the irony is, and I knew this all along because I've developed real estate, the members of Congress are responsible for the tax code. And many of them have been in office for decades. They could have changed these loopholes anytime they wanted to, but they didn't do it because many of their donors and their allies who contributed to them had discretionary money to give to them because of the very tax loopholes they claim Trump misused. So now they're pretending it's outrageous. How dare you that Trump used tax loopholes? Because after all, he's not our guy. But our guys who contribute to us, boy, Go take a look at their use of the tax loophole. Oh, no, we don't do that. And who created tax loopholes? The very people using them. They were hoping, they were hoping that they would find a smoking gun that they could browbeat Trump with again. They failed at two impeachment processes. They're blaming January 6th on him. Everything they can because I'm going to get into why. You know why. And yet there was nothing there that they didn't do themselves. It didn't show, furthermore, any corrupt 
connection to Russia. The Democrats kept using the media, you remember this? To suggest that the real reason Trump wouldn't let his tax returns be seen was because he had he was in cahoots with Putin. Schumer said in 2018, the president has refused to release that, that Schumer boy. That is a re, you got to keep your eye on that guy along with Schiff, the pencil neck. The president has refused to release his tax returns, but these bizarre actions that he has taken, which seems so to indicate, seem to indicate that President Putin has something over President Trump, something personal. And it might be financial. We need to see those tax returns. Well, guess what? Now you've seen them. The claim by Schumer, which he should have been strung up, tar and feathered for. Totally unethical. If you really want to apply the ethics, ethics to, to Congress. Were slanderous and baseless. And so far removed from reality that they don't even remotely suggest anything of the such. Trump did hold foreign bank accounts. And his businesses conducted businesses. He conducted business internationally. He was an international businessman. Still is. What would you expect? And, by the way, after the GOP's 2017 tax reform legislation, Trump's taxes actually went up. But the Democrats have broken precedent to release Trump's taxes. And they have nothing in those taxes to justify they're breaking precedent. Hello. Goodbye. I just wanted to get that into the narrative, into the classroom conversation at some point. At some point. At some point. I've watched this guy, Schumer, and I've watched Pelosi, and I've watched Pencil Neck and, and Fat Jerry. You, you, I'm going to tell you something. You go back and check all their accusations and see if any of them even was remotely, remotely true. And now, let's, here's, here's something I've been holding back. It's written by Philip Hamburger. He teaches uh, law at Columbia. I want to put this in the I want to put this in the class discussion. You know, the Democrats. I just put it into the class discussion, into the record, if you will, of our classroom conversations. That the tax returns revealed nothing that Schumer and those people had suggested they would reveal. Now, of course cometh before the public an attempt to blame January 6th on Trump. When Mr. Hamburger suggests 
you need to look at the Supreme Court. They're the ones who set the stage for the January 6th riot. And you say, how can that be? Well, okay, Tim, thank you for the production note. Maybe we can have production check into that a little bit. How can that be? Well, Supreme Court expanded, according to Mr. Hamburger, Congress's legislative powers and allowed them to be exercised by administrative agencies. The title of today's show is the administrative state. What is the administrative state? The administrative state is also known as the deep state. Are you with us? Also known as the deep state. The Supreme Court loosened and set loose administrative agencies to exercise legislative power. Legislative power regulates. Are you ready for this? Education, speech, healthcare, insurance, sexual relations. Shall I go on? That once were really beyond legislative reach. But because the regulatory power is in the administrative agencies that the legislature sets up, the administrative agencies are now beyond the public's reach. Many of these decisions that the administrative agencies in D.C. are doing once were done at the state level. But now, because of the administrative state actually being the ones who regulate education, speech, health care, insurance, all this stuff. Those who win the federal power can oppress. And those who lose are apt to be oppressed. And how do those who win oppress? They appoint the members of the legislative state. Administrative state agencies, the deep state, exercises enormous, expansive legislative power. And that power is in the hands of unelected bureaucrats. So what has happened? The people know this and they have become intensely involved with presidential elections because they know presidential elections 
whoever's elected will have the ability to use the administrative state. Biden does it. Biden doesn't have the authority to forgive those student loans. That's all administrative agencies. And this is putting an intense angst on the general population. To the extent that election beep has become an enormous national concern, along with the expansion of judicial power. Judges are able to make themselves more important than the law. Combine all this, according to Mr. Hamburger, with ideology, the growth of social media, and the opportunity for vast regulatory power through administrative agencies. And according to Mr. Hamburger, that's what caused January 6th. Congress caused January 6th. Congress created the tax loopholes. It's no wonder the people are frustrated. They know darn good and well. The things are not what they seem to be. So, I have many other things to cover, but I didn't get to it today. But I thought that was very important, very relevant for you to have a classroom discussion about. For you to uh, think about. How do you change this? Well, I intended to go on into and talk about why this drew out the speaker's selection. I'll probably do that tomorrow. Take up here and show what that had to do with the protracted discussion about who the speaker would be. Well, have a great day. Should be pretty nice around these parts. Lord Hog Command Center out.